You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. This episode is brought to you by Sax.com. At Sax.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott. Or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda. Whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for a garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch. Find inspiration for your new vibe every day at Saks.com. Do you find it hard to sleep at night? Then the Calm Cove podcast can help you sleep deeply all night long. Calm Cove has deeply relaxing meditation music and ambient sounds like ocean waves and crackling fires. All of our episodes are designed to help you relax and to fall asleep fast. Calm Cove is brought to you by the team behind Sleep Cove, the sleep podcast that consists of spoken word hypnosis, meditation and stories. So if you want to listen to a beautiful soundscape tonight, search for Calm Cove on Apple Podcasts or Spotify and see how we're helping millions of people relax and go to sleep every night. Feel like who art ed? Who art ed? Mr. Wood art ed me. Either way, it's ambiguous. It works on so many levels. I know. That's off to a great start. Welcome to Who Arted, where we explore visual arts in an audio medium. I'm your host, Kyle Wood, and joining me today, Sean Roshman, creative director and founder of Nico8, a ZFX flying director, because apparently that's a thing. It sounds like a cartoonish credential. Um, but I also love that you have done some serious work with like, you know, you've worked in music videos off broad yeah. off Broadway, yeah. Lady Gaga. Um yeah. you've done stuff with Cirque du Soleil. Yep. Hung out with those French Canadian clowns. <laughs> um, but most importantly, told my wife to stay away from me. You know what? I didn't know we were going to get into this. I didn't know that this was a gotcha interview. Um, oh. I'd like to get back to my reps and work this out. Um, but yeah, I mean, seriously, impressive talent coming from you oh. and um, point of personal pr- privilege. Uh, a very good friend of mine. You stood up at my wedding. I and did. I, I we went have, to high school together. There's we that. have. You were one of... You were one of so few people who knew me in high school and still talked to me anyways. <laughs> That's um, probably for the best. <laughs> you, <laughs> but uh, it it's wonderful to see you now that we're both out of our blunder yeah. years. Um, yeah. We made so, it. So today um, you are yet again, like, like so many guests teaching me about an artist that I will admit I was ignorant about. Because dance, while I appreciate it, I don't get it. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And you know, that is something I hear so often. Um, And I think part of my mission in my company is to get to those people who, who feel like they don't get it and help them access the sort of beauty and wonder of, of dance um, and the kind of primal experience of watching it. Yeah. And you know, it, it's funny because like, I talk about visual arts in like the same terms and mm-hmm. I see it when I see a sculpture. I see it when I see a painting. Yeah. And when I see dance, I'm like, 
there's something going on that I'm, it, I'm it's just not, I'm not seeing it. Yeah. But, you know, yeah. Yeah. And I think that that is, you, it's not necessarily your fault that you feel that way. And I think it's, I think you've been failed by, but to, to a degree by, by how dance is marketed, how dance is presented. Um, and I, I, I hope that, you know, what people take away from this is it is accessible and it is something that you can, that you don't have to be some sort of dance decoder that you have to kind of go into a piece and look for the hidden meaning that the, what's there on the surface. If you just look, uh, it's, it's fundamental to us as humans. You know, we, we express ourselves through physicality. We've been doing this for years. It's the primal art form. So sorry. <laughs> no, I, I I I like that. What I'm hearing from you is this is everybody's fault but mine. Exactly. I didn't fail. It's, it's the no, dancers it's who failed. It's <laughs> <laughs> listen, and they're dancers, so they'll take that kind of critique and feel real bad about themselves. Um, but no, I, I I think that there people sometimes think that if they don't quote unquote get it, like they haven't unlocked the mystery or they haven't solve the problem or solve the, you know, this means that, and this means that, and this means that. So this must, the, you know, dance, particularly concert dance, the kind of dance that we're going to talk about does more align with, a, I would say, a contemporary abstract painting than necessarily a musical or a TV show. Some Dance is not a narrative. Um, it, it doesn't express narrative really well. It's why charades is hard. We can't use words. We can't we we can't get into very detailed syntax. What dance dances, you know, neither like a, for me at least, either like a abstract painting or 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 like a dream where there's logic to it, but you can't quite get the logic. And that's what I love about it. I I like that. It um that's a really good way of of describing it, that analogy to an abstract painting where Mm -hmm. we don't get a narrative or a story out of it necessarily, but we have little things that we can connect to. There's, and, and also you said like that instinctual, that sort of like primal connection Mm -hmm. because movement was how we told stories and how we communicated before we had words and before we had writing. Um, yeah, and, and listen, no one, no one expresses the primal human experience better than the artist that we're going to talk about, uh, Martha Graham. She, you know, she tapped into the psychology of movement before there was anyone doing that. Yeah, and thank you for keeping me on message here because mm-hmm. we are here to talk about Martha Graham. Um, yeah. And when you talk about psychology, I find this interesting. So she was born in 1894. Her dad was basically a psychiatrist, but right. at that time they called them alienists, which is <laughs> like such <UFO> hunters. <laughs> well, I I thought of it like if because you know the early days of psychiatry and and you know psychoanalysis because like right around the time she born was born was when Freud came out with his theories of the mind Correct. and everything like that. Yeah, um, I I just find the term alienist it sounds like. It sounds like we're going to let the demons out. Like, it sounds like the right. kind of guy who is just like, okay, I'm going to drill into your temple and then we'll, totally. you know, we'll be fine well, after yeah. that. Yeah. Well, they were, I think there was a lot of fear in that kind of, in, in that profession at the time. It was because they knew so little, there was much to be feared. Um, but her dad being 
in that profession was, I think, pivotal to her work. Well, you know, one of the sort of famous stories, who knows that this is actually true, you know, was that her father told her at an early age that the body never lies. And that was sort of his profession, you know, uh, and, and she took that to heart and she connected the dot that what was happening in the body physically and what was happening in the mind were interconnected. And I think that may, you know, a lot of people attribute that to the fact that she came from uh, someone who was in the forefront of psychology, you know. Yeah. And, you know, as much as I make jokes about the term alienist sounding like, you know, a quack (laughs) sort of a profession, (laughs) like the term came about because he and others in that line were trying to help patients overcome the mental alienation. Right. Right. Like it it wasn't like, you know, some superstitious kind of um, faux medicine it was yeah. the early days they were trying the to understand days. things but it was a sincere effort and sure. more scientific so yeah. so you know she came from a comfortable background i mean mm-hmm. her dad was a doctor they were like second and gen- third generation um americans of irish yeah. descent which yeah. you know you and i can certainly relate to a little <laughs> bit there and yeah. <laughs> Um, You know, smooth, fluid movements, not exactly what Irish dancing is known for. No, very percussive. (laughs) Um, But, you know, dance was apparently not a huge priority in the Graham household. I guess she didn't even attend like her first dance performance until she was like 17 years old in 1911. Yeah. But what a dance performance she's she's attending, I guess, like. Mm You know, she's 14, her family moves to Santa Barbara, California, and she goes to see Ruth St. Saint, Saint Dennis. Correct. Um, and you're familiar with Ruth St. Ruth mm-hmm. Dennis, I'm assuming. And Ted Sean, yeah. So do you want to, just for our listeners, a little bit, just the Cliff Notes version of that? Yeah, they were pioneers, uh, along with Isidore Duncan, in that really first generation of what would become, I think, concert dance. So at, at the time, dance was, you know, we, you had the the Russian ballets from Europe, um, but there, and there was social dancing, of course, but there, there wasn't, and, and then, you know, uh, the beginning stages, I guess, of vaudeville, but there wasn't, um, art, it was, there wasn't an art form in sincerity that was dedicated that where dance was was the medium other than ballet and they were the sort of first americans at least to to begin to form uh i guess you could call them almost like pantomimes mm-hmm. they were mm, Unfortunately, they they wouldn't stand the test of time. Now they were they borrowed heavily from uh, ideas of the Far East um, and Egypt. Yeah. Between um, the lines, I saw that it seemed like there was a lot of cultural appropriation happening there. <laughs> yeah, but, yeah, but you know, yeah, you have to remember that for the you, time that was a progressive thing. It was it right. was it well, was. There was some, there was no other way to see these. There was no internet. There was no movies. There was, you know, I don't know, barely any pictures. You know, uh, this is how culture was consumed. You're absolutely well, right. 
And I I think of it in the way that I have a love-hate with Picasso because on the one hand, he was ripping off the art of so many African artists. Mm -hmm. And on the other hand, he was one of the few people who looked at that work and said, you know what, there's something to this. So Mm -hmm. it was like, it was, you know, what is it? Imitation is the sincerest form of flattery to a certain extent. Um, But I think the main idea there is... As I understand it from what you were saying, it sounds like kind of ballet was the art form and other mm-hmm. forms of dance prior to this time period were seen more as like recreational. Yeah. And what they were doing was taking other forms of dance and expression and mm-hmm. elevating it so it could be seen in that that high-minded way. Exactly. Yeah, that's a great way of putting it, Kyle. And uh, they, they also, they structured their performances much like a ballet in that there were elaborate sets and costumes and a a, a large degree of theatricality. Yeah. And so she saw that she's apparently enamored with dance after seeing Mm -hmm. that recital. She went to the school of dancing and related arts founded by Ruth St. Dennis and Ted Mm -hmm. Sean. So she was there for a while, I guess in, and she was, from what I understand, kind of a standout talent in that dance company. Um, In 1922, she actually danced in a silent film where they tried to synchronize live sound with the film. So like, I couldn't believe you found that. I had no idea. I learned something new when I read that. Yeah. So apparently like basically they had the dancer and the conductor on the film. So that the live orchestra in the pit could follow the conductor and everything would sort of match up, Wow, which is kind of like, that's <laughs> like, pretty innovative when you think yeah. like 1922, that's really right. early days of filmmaking. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, and yeah, I'm just thinking that's sort of like the first sort of, I don't know, Foley artist of its time, I guess. But yeah, it, I, I would, I got I, I wonder if that film exists. Yeah, I wonder because, I mean, on the one hand, you always think like film is going to be a record that sticks around. But on the other hand, in the early days, they were not taking great care of stuff. But no, she, yeah. she was an innovator. And that was not her only innovation. So she leaves Denishon in 1923, it looks like. Mm-hmm. And you're going to have to help me with this because mm-hmm. this is where, like, you know, I can't always hold my breath to get down to where they like to swim as I'm reading about, you know, <laughs> art theory and criticism. Sure. But it sounds like her goal was to get to like the inner self mm-hmm. like that. Yeah. I think of it in that modernist sense, the way that like Jackson Pollock was trying to get down to those fundamental feelings through the basic elements of line and movement. And she's trying to get at something of the human experience rather than simply entertaining. Like yeah. my understanding of Denishon was basically they were looking at different cultures and trying to celebrate these things and bring in, in those movements. Whereas what she was trying to do is saying like, what's, what's beneath those outfits and, and those movements, like what's that sort of common humanity, that shared experience that underlies all of that. Is that right? Sure. Absolutely. It's right. I think Martha was uh, someone who was so radically ahead of her time, it's almost unconceivable. And that before that, 
in the United States and in Europe, again, the dominant form, there's always been folk dancing. Folk dancing has existed since the beginning of time, you know, um, and uh, but in, in terms of watching dance as a performance, as an activity, uh, and watching dance to learn something, to feel something, to, you know, tell a story, to uh, express a, an emotion, you know, ballet in it, it, its technique um, it, it is relatively limited in what Martha eventually opened it up to, meaning that Martha you know what she's best known kind of is the, the the physical contraction of the body um that didn't that doesn't exist in ballet ballet is perfectly upright and lifted uh and you'll you'll get back you know back bends and you know uh huge high legs always in a turned out position and it, there's fluidity and beauty in ballet um but martha wanted to express something that ballet just wasn't, there wasn't a step for it. You know, there yeah. wasn't a, it was almost as if she created a brand new color of paint, you know? Uh, and for her, I think, uh, she was interested in expressing those primal feelings of uh, hatred, sadness, jealousy. You know, she worked a lot with the, in the Greek tragedies, these really heightened, devastating sweeping emotions that you know a, a point you wouldn't be able to even begin to i mean this has now radically changed in the ballet world with contemporary ballet now you know now ballet is fully expressive and contemporary ballet brings all these elements together but at the time that just wasn't something that was around and martha you know martha physically made her own technique which uh <laughs> it's um it's we you know we, we we say these things like she created a technique but she physically created movements that had never been performed on stage uh and and did so after deep experimentation of how you know she said in an interview you know uh she never starts a dance saying that i'm going to express anger i'm going to express grief but that she moves in a way where the movement gives her grief, the movement gives her anger, the movement gives her uh, fury. And that was a really revolutionary way of looking at choreography in, in that kind of psychosomatic way. Yeah, and and that's interesting in, in that mind-body connection because mm-hmm. – um, Again, very much ahead of her time, but also like more current science and studies have shown that Mm -hmm. your movements do affect your moods. You know, people say fake it till you make it like just smiling will actually make you feel happier. And I'm sure Mm -hmm. like that's the very, very simplified version of it. But, you know, like you said, she was getting at these things through through movement in a way that others really had not been doing she was the first yeah i mean she was the first you know it, it, the and she really understood how the body worked in that she, you know there were she did these exercises pleading exercises where you would you would hold your your arms out and and expose your veins and your neck and it was this 
hyper vulnerable position. And it's that animal brain where we're exposing our neck to be bitten that makes us so vulnerable. She understood that if you did that, it, it naturally gave something back to you, right? You didn't have to search so hard and quote unquote perform so hard. The movement was doing the work for you. And that was revolution again i keep on saying revolutionary i just don't have a better word at the moment i mean genius no but i i think you were right when you when you said it's like she invented a new color Mm -hmm. you know i mean she just she she it wasn't like a small twist on what had been done it was something that broke new ground created a whole new territory and allowed people to see something that they had not conceived of um yeah and I, I think, you know, as much as as an as an art lover, I always prize innovation and and I celebrate it where I see it and where I recognize it. I think mm-hmm. it's also worth recognizing that it's not always easy to be the innovator and to be ahead of one's time. And <laughs> no, you know, it often doesn't go well for them in their personal lives. <laughs> no, and <laughs> it in, takes a toll. In the early days, you know, she was sort of celebrated as she makes mm-hmm. her debut and then not so much as she's breaking new ground for it, it took like in some cases i think it took some people decades to catch up with what she oh, yeah. was doing and what she was seeing oh, yeah. um and after the break i think we're going to get a little bit more specific into what she was doing as we talk about a piece that you shared with me as one of her standouts This episode is brought to you by Sax.com. At Sax.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott. Or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda. Whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for a garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch. Find inspiration for your new vibe. Every day at Sax.com. Do you find it hard to sleep at night? Then the Sleep Cove podcast can help you. Hi, I'm Christopher Fitton, the voice and clinical hypnotherapist behind Sleep Cove. Sleep Cove features sleep hypnosis, meditations and bedtime stories, all designed to help those of you who struggle at night to achieve a restful and peaceful night's sleep. Search for Sleep Cove on Apple Podcasts or Spotify and see why Sleep Cove helps millions of people sleep deeply all night long. So now here we are, we're looking at, um, I want to make sure I get this right, Steps Mm -hmm. in the Street. And this is a piece from the 30s, right? The 1930s. 36, yeah. Um. And I got to say, like, I, I watched this a few times mm-hmm. and as somebody who I want to get dance, but like you, you say she is innovating in these emotional expressive things. And you, as one of my oldest and dearest friends know <laughs> that I am completely dead inside. I have not yeah. felt. No, you really haven't. Like, remember feelings? That was weird. Oh God. I know that that puppy um, died right in front of you. You didn't cry. <laughs> It's awful. Oh. It's oh. awful. 
That that is an awful thing to say to a man who just rescued a pup. Oh, I know. I'm sorry. <laughs> um, little little you want close me to replace home. it with small child. <laughs> oh, oh, we're going down a dark path here. So, uh, <laughs> but but in all seriousness, with this, like I'm looking at it. Yeah. And as I've watched this, I just I keep thinking about like color light and shadow and the movement mm-hmm. one of the things that strikes me and maybe this is because i'm so much about the visuals and the elements of art and how they're arranged like sure. the the costume work like the costume seems to blend into the backdrop you know because it's I, like your yeah. black outfits with a black backdrop and that makes their skin this point of high contrast mm-hmm. and we see like their arms and their faces um and so it almost becomes like these floating pieces mm-hmm, right. that are moving across the stage, which I found kind of interesting. Yeah. She, she was a big, Martha loved a skirt. Um, and it did create this kind of ethereal quality to these dancers. Um, and you're right. They seem to at times with those really quick bores, which are sorry, bores are really quick, um, uh, steps of the feet. So it kind of looks like you're gliding. You'll yeah. see ballet, you know, ballet dancers as they kind of skim the surface of the, of the floor. And what Martha did was to hunch them over, arch them back. So they looked almost grotesque. And then she had them do that very classic bore backwards and in a circle. So it looked so chaotic. And, and, and that was her genius. She took something that was known and kind of flipped it on its head. She she took a, a, a dance step that was known and almost iconic and and used it to express, you know, the terror and chaos of, you know, the, what was happening in the world and what was happening in the country. Um, and that that skirt, you're absolutely right. It, it, it provides this incredibly stark, almost militaristic um, uniform because they're all wearing the same the same there's nothing to distinguish any of them they're all in the exact same long black flowing dress yeah and and then at some points it seemed like they were all moving in sync and in other parts it seemed like they were split into two groups mm-hmm. um which you know i i'm sure you could read something into that i'm just like trying to look and track their motion and you know at points questioning like is is this like a dramatic interpretation of an exorcism? Because like you said, it, it seems like so backwards and contorted. Yeah. And it, uh, Oh, I love that interpretation, uh, an exorcism. And I, I, I think it, it, you, you really could think of it as an exorcism because there's no scenery, right? So we don't know where this is. There's no real costume. We don't know what time period we're in. We don't know. Um, how they're related uh, she gives us none of those clues um we also don't know how these women how they feel about each other you know at times they they don't even seem to acknowledge each other at other times they're hyper aware i feel like they're always aware they move as a collective but then they work as individuals they break off into segments she doesn't answer a lot of questions but what she does is present this world of of turmoil and chaos and uh sort of tumultual um uh whirlwind agony and and kind of lays it bare in front of us 
isn't it horrifying how relevant this piece is, you know? Um, well, but I, I think that getting at the, and I see this and maybe not in the, and I may be wrong in the dance terminology here, mm-hmm. but I see this as a quintessential like modern piece Absolutely. in the sense yeah. that I think of like modern art movements and modern philosophy in that like early 20th century sense of like, okay, we're drilling down to the, we're getting back to basics, right? Right. We're, we're getting to what is timeless and eternal about the human condition. And we're not afraid to look at some of the darker places in the human condition, right? We're not, we're moving away from the sort of pastoral romance and getting into the nitty gritty of, you know, what, what's happening in a, in a rapidly industrial, industrializing world in in, smack dab in the middle of a huge depression and a huge, having come out of a war. And, uh, and at the time when Martha made this, she made this piece, uh, in in response to the Spanish Civil War, and she definitely saw what was happening uh, the the reign of fascism in 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 the thirties in Europe at the time, um, and, and had a response to it. And she also saw what was happening in 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 the in, in her own country. It, 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 they, the country had just been devastated by the you know this terrible depression and there was poverty and she she saw that and she put that on stage uh in a way that I don't think anyone had ever you know seen before yeah and um you know like you said for historical context this was around the time of the Spanish Civil War which is also the inspiration between behind uh Picasso's Guernica one of yeah. his most famous and greatest pieces which also you know, showed contorted, unsettling figures. And I think one of the things that that was striking me as you were describing this, that like I didn't put this together until you started talking about it, but those groups seem to move past each other. And that really says something about society and the way that people interact or choose not to interact and, you know, the way that it's so easy to think of like, well, America's in this economic depression and sure, Europe's got their problems, but that's their problem. And, you know, we're not going to deal with that until we have to deal with that because eventually we all have to deal with it because we're all connected and related. Mm-hmm. We're all on that same stage. Right. 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 Um, I, I just I, I think that's kind of an interesting thing. It. It's one of those pieces that, as somebody who likes to pick things to pieces, I'm finding very fertile ground here. Like, I'm I'm yeah. finding more, and I appreciate that you're guiding me through this because I was not making all these connections in the moment <laughs> as I'm watching it. Well, let's talk about that because that's the, sometimes the difficulty about dance. Dance is always in the moment. It doesn't uh, translate super well uh, to film when it's been choreographed specifically for a proscenium stage. Um, and there's dance for film, uh, especially during the pandemic. I think that there, there was, there's a huge explosion in that, in that field. Um, but, uh, that aside, dance is meant to be viewed 
live. And sometimes seeing it on film can flatten it. Um, and it doesn't allow us to feel that kind of um, primal connection between the music and the movement. Uh, not always. And certainly watching dance is a fine substitute. Um, but I think sometimes that that dance suffers from the fact that it it is so fleeting. It's what we love about it, but also, unfortunately, it is, I think, one of the downfalls of of, of of being uh, a dance maker is that it, it kind of, it's very fleeting, you know? Yeah. Um, I could definitely see where the impact is different. Right. I mean, having been to live dances, of course, throughout my life, um, you know, I say, of course, but that that's a point of privilege. <laughs> I've, I've been fortunate to go to right. a number of, of live shows over the years. And it is truly a different experience because when I'm, when I'm watching on a screen, I can set the volume when I'm in the space, I can feel the sound, right? You know, I can feel the sound waves. I am seeing the entire stage. It is the lighting. Every element is coming together to -hmm. create an experience in that moment. So go see uh, live dance is the point. <laughs> go see go live dance is, is the point. Absolutely support artists doing doing their thing. Unless you're me, because it's totally lost on me so much of the time. <laughs> I need you to sit next I'll to me you. in the theater. Um <laughs> but, but we, you know, with this piece, I it I think is going back to uh the the actual structure of the dance uh, i think one of the most striking features of this dance is um it begins in complete silence right which yeah. is totally you know it's awkward it's awkward but it's, see awkward I, I i feel tense right i feel like oh, i feel this, uncomfortable i'm like did right, some did right, somebody not hit play that right? poor girl is out there with, <laughs> they just left her yeah. <laughs> just left her. That's funny. <laughs> like, did someone tell her? Um, come on stage. Come on. It's just that muscle Susie, memory. She can't not that. perform, but like, no, oh my God. No, that's really funny. Um, no, uh, but that, that kind of tension, I mean, that was intentional. She did that on purpose. She, she wanted you to feel that way. And then when it, finally breaks it is so striking the music is not subtle (laughs) um it's a very unsubtle piece uh and then this this sort of powerful army of of women come come marching out in these poses these powerful strange poses um and one of the features of this piece i think is just how powerful women are uh and I think few pieces prior to this piece in in the entirety of dance showed women being powerful, not dying swans, not, you know, uh, princesses. These women, like, it seems obscene, but they made business. We don't quite know what that business is, but they are powerful, strong, captivating, um, striking features, almost terrifying at times. Um, And that was you know, revolutionary, I think, for, for dance in the, in the, in the early 20th century. 
Yeah, I I would agree because I, you know, not having lived through that period, but having read a, quite a bit about dance and how it's developed, I mean, I can definitely see where an audience would go to that show and not know what to make of it because, right. like, you're, you're expecting to see beautiful, pretty, floating, smooth, yeah. flowing, Men, lyrical movements yeah. that, like, you know, just Romeo and Juliet, yeah, yeah. Um, and, and that was not that, yeah. It was not that. Yeah, well, and I I think one of the, another striking feature of this dance is um, how how sort of um, extreme the movement is. Uh, at the time, there wasn't, you know, we take for granted, you know, in the dance world at least, that kind of extreme movement, um, by which I mean really sharp contractions really quick backbends and pounding footwork, um, those jumps in second that are so bouncy yet so somehow otherworldly. Uh, uh, this was this was a th- all these steps were brand new. Uh, the audience had never seen movement that looked like this. Okay, can so can I peel back the curtain a little bit and just sure. get to like dancer's perspective mm-hmm. is that as painful as it looks yes absolutely the grand technique is exceedingly difficult um it's it it it's as difficult as it looks and then multiply that by 10 um it requires a extreme amount of core strength because what martha re- her work requires is that you're in those extreme balletic poses but completely off balance you know the, the the women do a sort of earlier version of a tilt which is when one leg is on the ground and the other leg is fully extended but the torso is actually tipped over towards the ground so you're almost in a like a lateral uh t of some uh, of sorts so like and a you're Jamiroquai doing this music video <laughs> And you're doing this without a male partner to hold your hand and make sure you don't plop on your head. Uh, and that kind of extreme physicality was not easy. Um, and I will say uh, the best Graham dancers make it look exceedingly easy. Um, you watch a Graham just because the technique itself has developed so well, um, there are now eight, nine generations of Graham teachers who have refined the technique and understood the technique and uh, gotten to the core of the technique. So the Graham dancers now doing this piece, it's extraordinary. They they bring that kind of 21st century athleticism to the to that to the technique and kind of bring it alive. Um, but yeah, it's hard. It's extreme. I think that seems like a good point to then probably wrap it up. I'm wrapping it up. I want just a three-point rating scale. And where should this hang? The Louvre? Is this something to look at? The lab? Is this something to learn from? Or the loop? British for the bathroom. Yeah, there's a joke in there somewhere. Oh, that's terrible. You know, for for me as a dancer, it belongs in the Louvre for me. Um, It's just... You know, I think it's one of those pieces that I can watch time after time and find something new. And it always invokes that 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 initial viewing, you know, the first time I saw it, which I think is a staple of a good a good piece. 
Yeah, I think I think you're probably right there. It 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 does feel like there is something there's something that is lasting about it, which I find ironic because dance, as we discussed, is so much an ephemeral art form, yeah. and that's yeah. how it's intended to be. Um, but there's always there's always more to this. There's always more that I'm discovering from watching it a couple of times because the first time i watched it i'm like i I don't get it this looks (laughs) right this just looks weird and then you know the second third time i'm picking up a few more things i'm starting to get some of the some of the feel from it but unsure Mm -hmm. if i'm understanding that feeling correctly right but then as I talk to you about it, I'm getting more from it and I'm seeing historical relevance and connections to it. So like I can see the argument for, for it being a museum piece. Uh, I think the only reason I end up not in the museum is because on the one hand, I, I can't resist trying to make a movement joke about the loo, but um, (laughs) I think I think I ultimately end up with like the lab because I feel like sure. this is something I can learn from. This is something I can pick apart and dissect, but I don't like it. It makes me uncomfortable. No. And no, I know that's, that's like the intention. No, 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 but, no. And that's a perfectly good response and a perfectly acceptable response to dance is to say that. I think sometimes we we take this dogmatic view of dance that if you don't like it you somehow didn't get it therefore you aren't smart and cultured dance is meant to be viewed and criticized and if something in the dance didn't connect to you or connected to you and you didn't like the response it's not liking it or feeling uh, uncomfortable or or off put by it is a perfectly acceptable and valid response to a dance and and i also think sometimes it's the intended response Absolutely. just like visual arts you know like a, a painting is not always meant to be pretty a dance Absolutely. is not always meant to be enjoyable sometimes they're trying to express something different Absolutely. and ultimately yeah. with this one i landed on it's not a piece to enjoy it's a piece to learn from you yeah know? yeah it, and i think that that speaks to uh the necessity of different types of arts coming together because to me it, it you know it moves me to tears because uh, of how i was how i connect with the world that's the beautiful thing about both your podcast and you know and the art world is that we find our mediums uh, and we find the things that connect and and what's important is to keep as artists to keep ourselves open to other mediums and because they can teach us a lot about our own practice and I appreciate that you are taking the time to share your expertise <laughs> and connect with me it's share and, and teach me about a medium that honestly, like I said, I appreciate, I respect because I know you are doing things I could never do, <laughs> but, um, you know, it's, it's one that I, I struggle to understand and it's okay to struggle to understand as, yeah. as you said. Um, but I appreciate that you took the time to come on and enlighten well, me it was a little my bit. Pleasure. It was my pleasure. So thank you very much. Thank you.
This concludes this week's episode of Who Arted, part of the Airwave Media Podcast Network. If you found this tolerable, please leave a rating or review on your favorite podcast app. You can find images of the work being discussed this week and every week on social media at Who Arted Podcast on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. And of course, on the website, whoartedpodcast.com. Podcast done.